Good morning, guys. We're so glad to have you all here. I just want to let those of you know who have babies with you that I am very cool with baby noises. Um, they don't really distract me very much, so don't worry about your babies. They are a delight to have with us. Um, and so all are welcome, including our children. So uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been in this teaching series where we've been looking at the book of James, or the letter from James. And one of the really interesting aspects of that book is just how relevant the teaching in that book is to our lives today. And that isn't always the case in some of the letters that we find in the New Testament. Oftentimes those letters are written to a specific group of people, a, a specific church, addressing um, oftentimes a specific issue to those people that often are very different than our lives today uh, because of the culture and the time. But that isn't true for this book, this letter from James. And so a few weeks ago, Larry talked about how often James teaches about the struggle of how we use our tongue, how we use our words. And so he writes in James chapter 3, verse 7 through 9, he writes this, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, James writes, this should not be. I think we can all identify with that struggle of how we use our words, but we also can all identify what it feels like to be on the receiving end of these harmful words. So I imagine if I asked you all this morning to think of a time when uh, you were hurt by words, that many of you could remember the exact moments, maybe even the exact words that were said to you, and even remembering them today hurts. And so this morning we are going to focus on a type of words that we can use that we see throughout the Bible that are actually the opposite of these words of curses. They are blessings. And so throughout scripture, we see these blessings that are used to lift up people, to impart a person's worth and their importance to the one who is speaking the blessing over them. And so a good uh, understanding of a blessing, it's, it's not a word that is necessarily used outside um, religious settings very much, but is just a good word, a good word that we give to one another. It is a special type of prayer that asks God's favor be upon an individual. And perhaps one of the most famous blessings that we see in scripture is found in the Old Testament book of Numbers. So um, from my own experience, and I've seen other people do this as well, Oftentimes, they try to read through the entire book of the Bible, starting in Genesis, and um, just going to shoot through all of those. And uh, oftentimes, uh, Genesis, good. Exodus, good. If you can make it through Leviticus, numbers, you start to kind of, your, your passion might wane a little bit. Because 
There are so many numbers in the book of Numbers. Um, it's the Jewish people have left Egypt, and they're hanging out in Mount Sinai, and there's a census taken to see who all is there, and so we see lots of numbers listed. But also, there's a lot of important things that are happening in this book. It's also a story of the wilderness, of how they are taken from Mount Sinai, and they go to the land that would be their own land, the promised land that would make them a nation, that they had this land for them. Um, a trip that should have taken two weeks, we see actually took 40 years because of the Jews' disobedience and, um, and their choices that they make. And in this, um, in Leviticus and Numbers, we see God trying to establish these people who had lived in slavery um, lived under oppression for years, he's trying to reestablish their worth and their identity. And he does this by giving them lots and lots of rules, lots and lots of structure. And for our eyes, it seems weird. <laughs> There's just so many of them. And you, you read through them and you're like, are all of these rules really necessary? Um, it's hard for us to really understand. And yet it's really important that we understand who he is creating these these rules and structures for. He's doing it for a people who were oppressed, who were in slavery, whose dignity and identity and worth were taken away from them under years of slavery. And so um, it might seem crazy that rules were the way to um, help them do that, but it made me think of a time where my family um, went to visit our, our family that lives in Seattle. So Larry, my husband, his brother lives, um, Lonnie lives there in Seattle. His family used to live in Ohio, um, and then they moved all out, their three children, and his wife Crystal moved out to Seattle. And when they got there, they started doing foster care. And we went to visit them um, a few years ago, and at that time, they had two young girls that were in foster care that they started to take care of. Um, and so we kind of got to get to know them. They're sweet, beautiful, adorable kids. Um, two sisters who had, I think they were two and four at the time, they had lived apart um, for a long time. They um, experienced a great deal of trauma in their um, homes uh, growing up. And, um, and so they, you could kind of see the trauma and the pain that they had experienced in their behavior, which is pretty common um, if you've worked with kids that have experienced trauma at a young age. And so I um, remember watching them parent, my, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, parent these two children so differently than they parented their own kids at that age. Um, there were so many more rules and structure for these kids. And I was struck by it. I even was um, surprised by it. But then I had this conversation with my sister-in-law, Crystal, and she talked about the pain she had of, of trying to change her parenting style and that her natural instinct was, because of these girls' situation, because of the pain they experienced, to give them more freedom, to um, be easier on them because of what they experienced. That just seemed like the kinder thing to do. But the counselors and the social workers worked with her and said, no, what these girls need is they need structure. Because they have had to, they were neglected, they had to take care of themselves. And so this structure allows them to know they are safe. They are protected. They have parents who will take care of them. That they don't need to worry about doing that for themselves. And we've seen over the years, these girls are still in um, our family's home. And uh, that 
that consistency, that structure has really helped them along with loving care and affection and words of kindness that they, of course, receive in that home. And it just made me wonder if that's what God was doing with these people who were coming out of oppressive um, existences, um, experienced harsh, harsh words, I'm sure, as a, a part of their daily lives. And now they're trying to get their worth back. And he does it maybe through all of these laws, the structure. And in this time when he's giving all of these instructions, he gives instructions to the priests at the time. Um, the, Aaron is the brother of Moses. Um, he is the first high priest here. And he gives instructions to Aaron of the exact words, the exact blessing he wants to, him to give to these people. And so we're going to read the blessing um, from Numbers chapter 6, starting in verse 22. So it says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. A short prayer with deep meaning. Of course, we see the Lord capitalized, um, which gives us the indication that it is the personal name that God gives Moses, that he is the I am, Yahweh, here that he repeats over and over again. And then he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. Imagine what that is saying to these people who were on their own, who were enslaved and cried out for generations for help. Now he's saying, let the Lord keep you, watch over you, protect you. And then this phrase, the Lord's face shine on you, the Lord's face turn towards you, in, ancient, um, in their ancient culture meant God's presence is with you. And for us, this prayer, some of it is lost because we as Christians, we know that God's presence can be with us always. We almost expect that, right, that God's presence is with us. And yet for these people at that time, that wouldn't have been the expectation. They didn't expect God's presence to be with them. And so this blessing that God would be with them was, um, was purposeful on God's part. And then, of course, he ends this, this blessing prayer, may God give you peace. And, of course, that word peace is the Hebrew word shalom that we talk about so often here. It means more than peace. It also has a meaning of wholeness and completeness. So for a people who have been broken down, their worth taken away from them, this blessing of may God give you wholeness and completeness, it would have been like a, a healing balm spoken over these people like an ointment on an open wound. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And so we see this practice of prayers of blessing continued throughout the story of the Bible. We see fathers blessing their children. We see um, children taken to the synagogue for priests to bless them. We see leaders blessing the people that they lead, um, oftentimes before they do something big or um, before they leave them. And a well-known example of a blessing that um, 
I imagine many of you have heard this story. It's recorded um, about Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, a story, a small story that sometimes we miss that what's happening in this story is a, a prayer of blessing. And so at the time, it's at the end of Jesus' ministry. There are things to do, people to heal, messages to teach, and he's with his disciples and their parents with young children who are coming and bringing their children for Jesus to bless, for Jesus to put his hands on them and bless them. And I want to read the, uh, the account um, found in Mark, and I want you to um, notice the strong language that is used for both the disciples' behavior and for Jesus' emotions. And in verse 13 of Mark chapter 10, it says, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And then Jesus took the children in his arms. He placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. So the language that is used there gives us the indication these are very young children. They're probably babies and toddlers. And we see the importance that Jesus gives to these children, but also he gives importance to what he's doing, this prayer of blessing. And yet, I think for most of us, a prayer of blessing, even if we were raised in the church, is not something that we have regularly experienced in our lives or that we do for others. And yet, we see in Scripture just how important they can be. And that's why there are many Christian leaders today, especially those who work with children, who are really teaching and stressing the importance of the practice of prayers of blessings. So I've mentioned this before. There was a book that um, the leaders of the church uh, read together that was very um, crucial to how we started this church and how um, the culture that we have in the church even today, um, the church when we started it nine years ago. Uh, the book is called The Celtic Way of Evangelism. And in that book, it talks about how St. Patrick was able to kind of spread the good news throughout Ireland in a very different way than other places um, in Europe at that time. And uh, he did it very quickly to a large amount of people. And so the short answer of how he did that was through community. He invited people to come and live in community with him, people who did not necessarily believe the same thing that he believed, did not act the same way he acted, and yet he invited them to come and live and share life with him. And one of the things that was part of daily life for um, people living in the community with St. Patrick were prayers of blessing. You see that throughout even um, Irish culture today, these prayers of blessings. And it would have been used for important um, things that just happened occasionally, like um, a prayer of blessing for a marriage or a birth. But we also see it for common things, like let's share a meal together and have a prayer of blessing before that. Or you're having a test, um, let me have a prayer of blessing over you for a test that you're taking. These good words spoken over one another to reaffirm their love for one another and that person's dignity and their worth to the community and to God. And so there is one aspect as I studied these blessings that um, 
bothered me a little bit, uh, maybe surprised me a little bit. And that is that when you see these blessings throughout the Bible, what you always see is it is done by somebody with more power and authority done to somebody with less power and authority. And the reason why that bothered me is because I, I do believe that the, God's ideal of shalom is that we are all equal in his eyes, that we are all equal image bearers of God. Um, but then it occurred to me that I think we know that a person in authority, um, their words, um, if they are unkind, probably have more weight in our lives um, than somebody who isn't an authority. So a parent or a, um, a pastor or a teacher or a boss, if they um, say something unkind to you, you remember that because, in part because of their authority. And so these blessings are a way to combat that. It's um, for people who are in authority and who have, um, they have influence. It's important to remember that you have the power to use your words to combat the, the harmful words that people um, get throughout their lives. And a prayer of blessing is a, a perfect way to do that. And so uh, it's especially true, I think, for parents and teachers and youth leaders and mentors that these prayers of blessings are something that we really can give as gifts to um, children in our lives. And there are two aspects of these prayers that um, are important for all of us, but especially for children. The first is just those words of affirmation, these words that lift up, that show a child or whoever is receiving this blessing that you are seen, that you are understood by simply expressing our hopes and dreams for them and our unconditional love. Um, the other important aspect of these blessings, though, is it's a combination of the words and also physical touch. So we see God placing his hand on, or Jesus placing his hand on the children as he blesses them. I love the song that we sing in Zulu, um, This I Know. It comes from Psalms 139 that talks about God being with us no matter where we go. And then that phrase, he places a blessing on my head. It's an important combination, this um, physical touch and words of affirmation done at the same time. And I know that for different ones of us growing up in different cultures, different homes, physical affection probably was different. Um, I know some come from very affectionate families. Uh, you get hugs and kisses all the time. Uh, maybe that wasn't the case for um, your home or your culture. But studies have shown that all of us really need physical touch, especially as children. But even as adults, um, it helps us heal. It helps us um, combat depression. There, we are meant to have physical affection. And so don't underestimate the importance of a hand on a shoulder, a hand on a head as you speak over someone a prayer of blessings. The words do not need to be perfect. Instead, the focus is on your good intentions, your hopes, and your dreams for that person's future. And so as we get ready to share communion today, we're going to share a special time of blessing after communion um, for some of the people in our church family, um, some of the young children, and then also our high school graduates. And uh, I have encouraged their parents to each of them to write a prayer of blessing on their own for these children. And uh, they are going to share those with their own children at their own time. Um, and then Larry has written a blessing for the children. Um, Matt has 
written a blessing for the graduates. And we're just going to kind of model to you one way of um, of practicing a prayer of blessing over someone. But they aren't just for parents and pastors. They really are for all of us. All of us can give the gift of a prayer of blessing. So just imagine what it would be like if you were going to start something new, um, a new job, move somewhere, something new in your life that maybe is exciting but also scary. And just a friend places their hand on your shoulder and prays a prayer of blessing about your future. Imagine how you would feel seen and the worth that you would feel um, being um, prayed for in that way. And that's the gift that we give to one another. And so I just encourage um, that that would kind of be a part of our, become a part of our culture here. I'm learning to do it myself. It isn't something that I um, was introduced to, and, and so now I'm just seeing the value in it. And I would really like that to kind of become the culture here, where we give that gift of words to us, combating all that we face throughout the week, um, that we lift one another up with prayers of blessing. And so as we transition this morning to a time of response where we join together and we remember Jesus' love and his sacrifice for us, I just want to share Jesus' own prayer of blessing. So he um, spoke this blessing prayer right before he knew that he was going to be arrested, that he would go on trial, and that he would be crucified. And so he prays a blessing prayer for his disciples, but then he also says a prayer of blessing for those of us who would come after the disciples at that time. This blessing prayer is for us. And this is what Jesus says in John Uh, chapter 17, verse 20. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with, to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me before the world began. And so before we sing together and we are all invited to share at the Lord's table where we take the bread and we dip it into the juice, I want us to um, pray together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I... I know that all of us have wounds um, of words that were spoken over us um, that stick. And Lord, I pray that the blessings um, that you have spoken into existence, Lord, the carefully chosen words found in Scripture, that we would speak them over one another, over our children over um, our neighbors, our friends, um, and that it would change us, Lord, 
that we would know our worth, that we would know your love. And I pray that we would um, be a light to this community, Lord. Lord, we thank you so much for your sacrifice that you showed us our worth and our value to you. You showed us that God loves us as much as he loves you. We thank you for your sacrifice and your love. It's in your name we pray.